Welcome back to the Crateism Podcast. I am your host, Fatima Chantel, and this is a show about records and culture. First off, this is not a new episode. It's a best of, a greatest hits, as we like to say in the album world, to get you warmed up for season three. Before we get started, just wanted to remind you that if you enjoy the podcast, please share, subscribe, and rate, preferably five stars on Apple, and I think Spotify now allows ratings. Okay, here we go. So I'd like to start off every interview with the following question. State your name and where you're from. Yeah, uh, name is Abraham Menor from the Bay Area, specifically uh, San Jose, California. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm always excited to talk to people from the Bay. (laughs) I know you are. (laughs) Even though I've been in LA for like, I think it's been like three and a half years. I still have my 415 area code for my phone number. (laughs) But I love LA, I really do. Um, Anyway, thank you for joining me on the podcast. We are here to talk about this dope book series of yours known as Diggin' Sound Collect. Yes. So um, how would you describe this project? Um, so this project is, um, this is the second run of the project. And the first one, you might consider it more on the zine uh, level versus book. But anyhow, it's it's a book project and the focus is on documenting through photography different vinyl collectors uh, throughout the country. Uh, and this second one, there is some folks from more up north of the Americas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the first project had collectors from different parts of the world. Mm. Okay, so I want to start off with your story and the journey that led you to this book series. Um, I mean, I'm assuming you, you know, you're a record collector yourself. Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. No. (laughs) (laughs) I know people can relate. You don't even have to explain the unfortunately part. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So the project came about, I was um, working on a zine series called, do you know the way? Um, and it's a tribute to San Jose, and it's uh, from Dionne Warwick's song, Do You Know the Way to San Jose? Yeah, and so I was working on this zine, just really focusing on uh, photographs that I've taken in the past 10 years of San Jose culture and people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was around 2015, 2016, I was kicking it tough uh, with a number of uh, Sweet Soul 45 collectors and uh we would always have uh jam sessions in san jose or some type of event in san jose and so i wanted to focus on i think it was april i wanted to focus on the april month on uh 45 collectors uh and from there i made 20 zines and you know it was all hand printed stapled and uh you know with 20 zines half of them went to the people that I shot and the other half um I was able to sell and there was a lot of good responses and feedback to it and people were wondering um what are you going to do are you going to make any more copies are you going to do something else with this and I really had no intention or plan to do anything um after that because I'm like once I'm done I'm done and then I you know I said well 
instead of just focusing on 45 collectors, if I'm really going to continue and do something else with this, there's, you know, as you know, there's so many DJs in the Bay Area, so many collectors <laughs> yes. in the Bay Area, and growing up with DJs, collectors, and everyone. Turntable in the, is. Turntable is, exactly. I was mm-hmm. like, well, let me let me expand this list that I have and just start connecting with folks. And then from there, it, it, from 15 friends, it turned into referrals. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, me connecting with folks on Instagram and social media. And then it built up, it built up to 47 collectors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's how the Digging Sound Collect really started off. Um, yeah. So that's kind of like the starting point and, and the path. Um, that it's been on. Okay, so the zine, do you know the way? Yeah. Are, are there still copies of that floating out there? No, oh. no. Uh, <laughs> there might be something on eBay, but uh, oh. not, nothing out there in the field uh, unless someone's trying to get rid of it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a sought after. It's, it's one of those things, right? It's one of those collector collectible items. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I wish... I would have made more just to hold on to. But yeah, there's nothing out there uh, right now. I'm going to Google it more you know, <laughs> later on just to see what's out there. There you go. Do you have copies for yourself? I, I, I think I have one copy and I just don't know where that's at. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know how that goes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so how do you actually decide who's going to be photographed? I mean, I know you said you, you know, had people kind of like in your circle and they gave you referrals, but then you know, it expanded, you know, you kind of like found people on Instagram, like, cause there's so many record collectors on Instagram. Now. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. how do you, you know, how did you decide? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I think with the, with the referrals, you, you start to go down the rabbit hole and once you find their Instagram or their website, you kind of go from there. And when I, for the first book, the only platform I was really selling this on outside of having in-person events or pop-ups was on Instagram. And so you go to the hashtags or you go to your, your, you know, your networks um, bios and you start looking at who they're following or, or, or whatever the case may be. And then, you know, I just gravitated towards people's collections or what they were posting. And if it, if it resonated with me or if I found it interesting, uh, in regards to what they had or what they were posting, then I, I would hit them up. But to your point, there's there's thousands, tens mm-hmm. of thousands on, on Instagram. Uh, and so I definitely wanted to make sure if I do reach out to anyone, hopefully I could connect with them because, you know, I can be on there all day reaching mm-hmm. out to folks. And so I kind of gave myself a, a cap as well you know i said don't go over anyone that like uh over a number a certain number uh only contact folks that you might have actual reach and and be able to physically connect with so i'm not going to contact someone in the uk uh unless i'm going to be in the uk right uh so a lot of it was if i was traveling in the area I would hit up folks where i could find them in that area so for instance if i was in baltimore um trying to find folks from Baltimore looking at the hashtags, right. Or the record stores. Uh, uh, or if I was in Chicago, you know, connecting with folks who are in Chicago or Illinois and, and trying to connect with folks that way. Yeah. But it, it, it really comes down to, you know, I'm, I'm not 
picking any type of one genre or people who have just the rarest records or vinyl. I'm really just looking at like how passionate folks are in pre- presenting mm. their their, their um, collection or or the pieces that they have. I was flipping through the first one. Yeah. Did, did I see that you had someone from Johannesburg? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Johannes, Johannesburg, South Africa. I was uh, I was out there. That's Solomon, uh, who you're looking at. Um, I was out there for Afropunk. The first, oh, okay. Ooh, the first wow. Afropunk um, in Africa. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, anytime I travel, I try to find places where I can, you know, find vinyl. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to find, I don't even remember the location's name, forgive me. Um, but it's a, like a six story vintage uh, shop. What? Yeah. So like imagine the first, sto- the first floor is all vintage books the second floor is all vintage luggage the third floor is luggage all, yeah luggage wow. mm-hmm. luggage and bags and you know just stuff like that and then the third floor is all vinyl and from what i remember i think there was like over uh, maybe a hundred thousand maybe more pieces yeah and i know and i know a lot of a lot of uh major heads have been through that spot uh, but anyhow, I, yeah, I was out there and uh, digging, and then uh, I came across the brother, and, and he was all, "Oh, you're American." He heard me talking to my friend, and then we just started talking. And the funny thing is, uh, I was asking him, "Is what's the local music that I could find?" And he was like, "You're not gonna find it here, or if and if it is here, it's already been taken." And then when I was asking him what what he was into, it, it was interesting because he was telling me he was really into american rock mm. um yeah 70s 80s rock and because it was a, it, it it was an import right mm. and uh it was something that wasn't common or wasn't produced there uh or in mm. the in the region surrounding so anyways that's sorry that was a long little story <laughs> no no i'm I, like I want to go there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, definitely had fun. Uh, but there's a, there's a lot of great places in Johannesburg and, and also Cape Town uh, that you can find some good stuff. And if you are, if you know how to research, this is what I learned while I was there. If you know how to research, you could find the offbeaten path places, uh, mm. which is usually the flea markets or people's um, communal areas. So you have to really be able to like know how to navigate and get into these places which unfortunately i didn't have enough time to do uh but yeah it's a dope place i i definitely you know i feel that that was one of my that's been a destination and it's definitely a place where uh you know there's there's a lot of history uh and culture that um one could appreciate yeah hey when the world opens back up that's at the top of my list (laughs) yeah let let me know i'll meet you out there (laughs) (laughs) okay yeah now, your mom was in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your mom, big record collector. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you really wanted to ask, if you if you if you ask the question, how did you how did this whole thing start? It's mm-hmm. because of my my mom, uh, mm. for sure. Uh, she she always had records. She, uh, you know, there's bookshelf there's bookshelves of records in the house. That was the Sunday thing especially mm. cleaning up the house, um, oh, yeah. making dinner, making lunch. And, you know, I was never allowed to touch the turntable. 
right? <laughs> like I think all children or anyone who's grew up who grew up with vinyl can, yep. can attest to that. But I I was able to look at the records and the albums. Fast forward to being a grown, uh, you know, a young adult when CDs were coming into play. I remember she was gonna get rid. She had two crates in the living room, and she was about to get rid of them or donate them to uh, Salvation Army. And that's when I was like, wait, hold on. I don't know exactly what you have, <laughs> but I'm not going to let you throw this away. I just always remember seeing Ohio players. Oh, um, yeah. and those were the album covers that I could never look at. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. You know what I'm talking about. Yes. And so that's I knew she had that for sure. And I knew who the Ohio players were at the time. And so I was like, yeah, you're not going to get rid of these. I'll hold on to them and I'll figure out what to do with them. Because I, mm-hmm. I had my own collection, but it was all hip hop, R&B and soul. And it wasn't anything like what she had. But I, I just knew don't don't let her get rid of them. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of how it all started. And to go uh, into the book. Uh, it was Mother's Day, and I was trying to figure out what do, what do I do for my moms uh, <laughs> at this point in my life and age. And and this is when I was working on the book, and I told her, I said, Mom, I need you to come over to my house because I have all your records mixed up with my records, and I need you to like identify them for me so I can separate them so I can just put, the, put a section just for yourself. Um, but I've always had hers separate from mine, just so, mm. just so I know uh you know which records were hers uh and she came over to the house she didn't know that i was gonna photograph her and 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 put her in the project uh and even when i was photographing her i didn't tell her uh the crazy thing is when we went through the records we were playing some of the records and to hear her tell her stories about the the music was a trip because uh, mm. I never asked her. Like, I knew she liked Stevie Wonder and Stevie Wonder was just really good. And Ohio players, because they were funky and Yusuf Latif, because she was into jazz at one point, you know. Mm. But the way she started breaking down the records and what it meant during the time of the of the 70s and what was going on uh, during that time, 60s and 70s, uh, was a trip to hear that historical, you know, reference to the music. And then the day that I had the release and, and the gallery show, someone pulled her and was like, hey, did you know you're on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, what are you talking about? And that was just her uh, intro to finding out that she was in the book. Wow. Okay, mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's dope. Yeah, yeah. In case you didn't know, Crateism is not only a podcast, but an online record store that I personally curate. So you can find great albums like Hotels, Summer Walkers Over It, and Still Over It, the full Kehlani catalog, Anything by Erica Badu, the very hard to find debut album by Lucy Pearl. Uh, Wait, that was our only album. Um, we also have a vinyl club. Past records of the month have been Kendrick's Good Kid, Matt City, Queen Latifah's All Hell the Queen, the Donny Hathaway Collection, Janet Jackson's Janet, Mary J. Blige's My Life. Um, because 2022 is the last year that we're doing this whole vinyl club thing, you can still sign up for either a three-month or six-month subscription. Head over to shopcrateism.com and just like that, amazing, bomb-ass records delivered to your door every month. 
State your name and where you're from. My name is Reese, and I'm from, I guess specifically, I'm from the suburbs of Philly. Okay. Welcome. I have to say, your voice is so unique and different, and I can't think of anybody that sounds like you. And so I'm just <laughs> hella excited to talk to you about your music. Thank I gotta you. put that out there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So how did you actually get into the music industry? Well, I didn't know anybody really. At least I thought I didn't know anyone in the music industry. And then I was in college. I was going to Temple University and I was looking to get an internship. I was Mm -hmm. a finance major, international business and finance major. And I was like, oh, I need an internship this summer. And I called up my dad's lawyer, who was also one of his best friends who also, you know, so he's one of my dad's best friends. And I went to him and I'm like, you know, hey, I need to get an internship. I'm a finance major. Like, where can I work? And he's like, oh, I got you. Like, I'm gonna call up my boy, so-and-so, and you can work at his financial um, money management company in Ratner, Pennsylvania. You'll be fine. He's like, you know, you got that. He's like, but um, he started, he wanted to talk about his kids and his daughter um, he was like, oh, you know, because I haven't seen his kids in a while. Like, they're my parents' best friends, you know, but mm-hmm. we haven't, we were getting older and I'm in college. So I don't really, I wasn't really hanging out with my parents' best friends' kids anymore. And um, he was like, yo, let me tell you about my daughter. You know, Santi, she's doing this. She's, you know, she's living in New York City, working for Sony Records. And she's like an assistant A&R. And you should, you should hit her up and hang out with her you know, y- y'all need to hang out or whatever, you know, cause I, I always know you, you used to sing and everything growing up. Cause I used to sing as a kid. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, cool. So I honestly didn't even think anything of it. And then I just, I don't even know why I had this idea in my head, but I was like, I want to make a demo tape. And I really mm-hmm. do not even know why, like, I can't even really pinpoint why right now, because I wasn't really, I always took voice lessons but I wasn't really around like a crew of kids that were into music or being creative like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And, but when I thought about doing it, I was like thinking about, oh, what am I gonna do for the summer? Like I'm bored, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, he was telling me, you know, call Santi up. And it just kind of popped in my head like, oh yeah, he said, you know, I should reach out to his daughter because she's doing all this like cool stuff. And so that was the first person I thought of. So I called Santi up and you guys know Santi as Santo Gold. Yes. And so I hit her up and I was just like, yo, Santi, like, what are you doing? Like, I want to like come visit you in New York. Like I talked to your dad and he said you were like in New York doing stuff. And she's like, oh yeah, do you sing anymore? And I'm like, yeah, I still sing, you know? And she's like, oh yeah, come up. And so I started going up to Brooklyn, Fort Greene, Brooklyn, and t- staying with her at her apartment on South Portland, mm. right around the corner from the Brooklyn Moon Cafe. And that was like a cafe that people like went and performed at and stuff. And it was just like low key Brooklyn. And um, I went there and she was like, yeah, I'm writing songs. And she like pulled out her guitar mm. that she could barely play at the time. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> She was able to like strum some chords, you know what I'm saying? And uh-huh. she was like, yeah, I started writing songs. Here, listen to my songs. Maybe you can sing them. And she would sing them. And to be brutally honest, like, you know, we we were like a good match because 
I never wrote a song before, so I wasn't really interested in writing songs. And she really wasn't that much of a singer at the time. So mm. it was kind of like a match, you know, like, okay, well, I'll take your songs and I'll try to sing what you're trying to sing and try to make them sound better. And that's how we made our first demo. And, um, oh. but she, you know, she knew more about the music industry th than I did because she was working mm -hmm. as an A&R assistant. So at the is, time- Is this in the nineties or are we- in Yeah, this was like late, yeah, this was late nineties, like 98, maybe, 1998. Okay. Okay. And so she knew, you know, she was working at Sony, A&R assistant to like the president of like, you know, and was like cool with the president of the company, you know? And she was just like, yo, um, I can get you a demo deal. And I was like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, well, what do I have to do? She's like, you just have to do what I say. Like, just do everything I say, tell you to do. And I was like, mm -hmm. okay. And I did. And the gift of gab that she had, like, got me a demo deal that was like $32,000 given to me Ooh. as a budget to make six songs mm. from the gift of gab. Because I had no pictures. I never sang anything recorded before. I never really went to the studio. Like I may have accompanied somebody at the studio, but I never sang on the mic before. Like literally just the gift of gab in 1998 by to Gold is why I got a demo deal wow. and started my career. That's crazy. That's how it was for me. I mean, wow. the one thing that's not so crazy is that everybody's story is completely different, you know, mm -hmm. and everybody got gets into the industry in a crazy different way. And that mm -hmm. that's how I got into it. Wow. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um so uh you know, we're coming up on the 20th anniversary of your debut album. Yeah, it's um, crazy. How I do. <laughs> <laughs> and um I would love to hear how that album came about? Well, it's funny because that very first demo tape that I just spoke about, about five of those songs on that demo tape are, you know, were the beginning, were actually the songs that make up half of how I do. Like I was one mm. of those kind of stories. Like we made a bomb, bomb, bomb ass demo tape. Like I, now that I'm looking back at it, like we must've made an incredible like demo tape, you know, because mm. we actually, those were the the first songs that we, um, that we like worked on again to make how I do. So, or actually let me think about it. I don't know. To be specific, I can say Sitting Back was on that demo tape. Demo tape. Mm, I, um, that is my joint. <laughs> That's my joint. No. Uh, sitting mm. Back was on there. Um, the Hustler was on there. Mm -hmm. um, I think um, uh, The Hustler, and, and it was another song. I think um, I think I want to say Tsunami. Mm-hmm was on there mm. um which ended up being a bonus track right yeah no no well that was the last song on the album but oh, oh the bonus track was the rock one and then i think i've known the garden was on there too oh okay yeah those are the songs that went from a demo status into like full-blown like we worked on it again and we still loved it and um and we we put that on to how i do 
Okay. Yeah, but How I Do was a crazy album to be made. I mean, I'd never made an, an album before. Um, and I was working with Santi, who never made an album before. I was working with Corey Smith, who now manages Dave Chappelle and like Vince Staples. And wow. it was, he was like, he was managing artists, but he never managed a female artist before. Mm-hmm. And um, Doc McKinney, who, who is the producer who did uh, the first three mixtapes for uh, The Weeknd, he, it was like his second album, like not his second album ever, but his second album that was like signed and like a real album where he was getting like real money. And it was crazy because, you know, it was a lot of firsts for everyone. And none of us at that point had any success. Mm-hmm. And we basically made each other feel it. Like we, we would, be, we were really hard on each other. Like when I look back on it, like we were pretty harsh and cutthroat and very um you know very strong about our opinions like everybody was and but the one thing that made it great was that if we all agreed that something was hot then Mm -hmm. we kept it and we we were like yeah it's undeniable you know but Mm -hmm. the 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 road to get to that something is hot and it's undeniable was definitely I, I don't recommend it <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> and uh and we had a lot of bumps in the roads but we also all learned a lot about it and uh, learned a- about ourselves and about just everything you know so um I don't regret it but I definitely if you talk to some of my like homegirls at the time they would probably have told you I was completely depressed while I was making that record because it was so hard it was so like it was all about like a crash course on working with different personalities and everybody doing something for the first time and egos and all the stuff you don't really want to hear you know but it's Mm. the truth so that's it i hope you enjoyed this best of episode Season three will be back in June. Um, Yeah, June. Make sure you are subscribed. That way you don't miss out on any episodes when they drop. If you want to buy records from us, head over to shopcrateism.com. You can also use Afterpay there. You can also buy directly from our IG at Crateism. That is C-R-A-T-E-I-S-M. At this time... We only ship in the U.S. You can also shop in person if you are in the City of Trees, a.k.a. Sacramento. We have a bin inside of 12's Wax, which is a dope record store located at 3324 Broadway in Oak Park. Oh, also follow our sister online record store, Blush Music Company. This shop is dedicated to pop vinyl, so this is where you're going to find your Olivia Rodrigo's, your Billie Eilish's, Gaga, Harry Styles, etc. And in the meantime, if you need more Crateism in your life, follow us on IG and TikTok at Crateism. And I'm also on IG at Fatima Chantel. Okay, until the next episode. <laughs>